So if you're new with us, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are ending a series that we've been in throughout the month of November. And this series is about spiritual warfare. It's about the, about the reality that we live in a world that is at war. There's a spiritual world out there and it's just as real as the physical world that we live in. And that spiritual world is wrapped up in a battle that affects the spiritual or affects the physical world that we live in. And we all have this common enemy. That enemy is a real being called Satan. And I don't know what you believe about Satan, whether you believe in him or not, but I told you last week, one of the reasons I believe in Satan is because Jesus believed in Satan. And we learned that last week. We watched Jesus actually do battle against Satan as we looked at the temptation of Jesus. And we watched Jesus fight effectively against Satan. We learned that Jesus is greater than Satan. And he's always with us. He's always there to empower us, to show us how to to fight against him. And we learned last week that we have been given authority over Satan's power. So we can actually fight against Satan the way that Jesus did as we learn to follow his example. So today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter six, and we're gonna learn about the armor that God has given us to wear as we fight in this battle. We're gonna learn about some spiritual weapons that we can use as we stand against the enemy. So Ephesians chapter six is where we're gonna be. If you wanna flip over in your Bible, you can do that, or you can pull that up on your smartphone. We'll have the verses on the screens as well. But the book of Ephesians was written by a guy by the name of Paul. And if you would say that you're a person or if you've ever been a person who really has not been excited about Christians, you're not really excited about who they are and how they live, then you would have liked Paul in his earlier days because Paul, actually his name at that point was Saul, but he hated Christ followers. He didn't want anything to do with them until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he was transformed by him. And as a result, we now have a majority of the New Testament part of the Bible written by Paul. So we have benefited greatly from him growing that relationship that he had with Jesus. So we're going to learn from Paul this morning. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And I'd like us to say this first verse out loud together, okay? So everybody ready? All right, three of you are ready. All right, hopefully the rest of you will follow in as we go along. All right, so uh, verse 10 says this. Well, on the count of three, here we go. One, two, three. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, so who are we supposed to be strong in? In the Lord and in his mighty power. It's super important for us because there are moments we forget that it's about him and his power, and we think it's about us and our power. Jesus had to remind his disciples of that one time. So there was a moment after Jesus' disciples had been given authority from him over fallen angels to to fight them in battle, and they came running back after uh, using this new authority they had. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, They said to Jesus, they said, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. They were so excited, like, aren't we so cool? Look at the power we have. And in verse 20, Jesus replied and said, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. He says, listen, like you're making this about you. It's not about you. It's never about us. 
It's always about what God can do, not what we can do. So we have to be strong in God's mighty power, not in our power. Verse 11, Paul says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Remember that next time you're in a spat with your spouse. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there really is a spiritual world out there. In verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So how much of God's armor are we supposed to wear? All of it. Problem is, we don't always wear all of it. There are moments we only wear a portion of it. So to illustrate that, let me ask this question. How many football fans do we have? Number of football fans. Hopefully your teams are doing well. Sort of. Hopefully, you know, you're, you're winning out there, had you know, a great season so far. How many of you would actually like to play in a professional football game? There's, there's, there's four or five of us that would like that. I would love to suit up as a Pittsburgh Steeler and run out that tunnel and go play. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I'm a little bit nervous, though, that I would be crushed by all the actual football players just coming out of the tunnel, and I would never make it to the field. That just would not be a good experience. Uh, But man, that would be exciting. But what would you think if you're watching your, your favorite team, you're watching your favorite player, and they come running out on the field, and they don't have their helmet on, and they don't have their shoulder pads on? What would you be thinking? I'm thinking they've taken too many hits to the head. Like, that's not okay. Coach, get them off the field. We know if they go onto the field to play professional football without all of their equipment, they're going to get hurt badly. In the Christian context, there are too many Christ followers that run into battle every day, and we don't have all of the armor on. We only have a portion of the armor on. And we wonder, why am I getting hit by the enemy so badly? And the answer is, we're not wearing all the armor. We're just wearing a portion of the armor. So we're going to spend some time talking about the armor of God and what armor that we're supposed to be wearing and what it means to wear all of that armor. So as Paul starts talking uh, about this armor and he starts identifying the armor, he's going to use an example of a Roman soldier to help people understand what that means. And if you're chuckling at this picture, that is not Roman. I understand. But I thought it's been a long time since we've seen Braveheart. I thought it would just be a good moment for us to, to be energized and excited about that this morning. Okay, so we'll move on to Roman uh, equipment and, and uniform. I know it's a little depressing. It's not as exciting. But for Paul, as he's talking to the church in, Corinth, or, uh, in Ephesus, the, the church that is receiving this letter and other Christ followers that would be reading this letter, they understand what uh, Roman soldier uniform was like. Like they got it. They lived in areas that were occupied by Roman soldiers on a regular basis. And they might have even been asked to carry that, a Roman soldier's uniform or their equipment. 
And so they understood what that was all about. And so Paul tries to use that as an illustration for them to understand what he's talking about when it comes to us wearing the body armor of, of God's truth. So he starts in verse 14. He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. So he starts by identifying one of the most important pieces of equipment for a Roman soldier, and that was his belt. So off of his belt, his sword would hang, other equipment would be attached, and he would often tuck his robe in if he was at that time wearing a robe. Some Bible translations translate verse 14 as saying, gird your loins with truth. And that's a reference to a Roman soldier who was wearing a longer robe and in battle would need to pick up that robe. They had a specific way they would wrap that robe around their legs and then tuck it into their belt so that they could go into battle and fight effectively. You can imagine how ineffective you would be with a sword in a dress. Like you probably wouldn't win the battle. So you, th these guys would pick up their robe, tuck it into their belt, and then they could fight effectively. So Paul's telling us, listen, truth is central for us. It should be central for who we are as Christ followers. It should be the core of our being. Everything else in our lives should be tucked into truth. And it's so important for us, especially today when, when we live in this world that says truth is relative. If you spend time watching um, any kind of media, entertainment, movies, TV, social media, a regular message that you will hear from our world is that my truth may not be your truth. Your truth may not be my truth. You find your own truth, and if it's good for you, great. That's true for you, but it may not be true for you. Don't force your truth on me. Truth is kind of a relative thing. But God wants us to know there is such a thing as absolute truth. There's such a thing as truth that applies to everyone, and we need to learn how to filter all of our lives through truth. So Paul says, listen, it is the core of who you are. So we should filter everything through truth. We should ask on a regular basis, is this true? Am I speaking truth? Am I hearing truth? It, it, what I'm trying to be fed by our culture, is it true? And should I apply it to my life? And that can be a very hard thing to decipher, especially in a world that likes to twist truth. But listen to what Proverbs 8 says. Verse one says, listen as wisdom calls out. Wisdom and truth are deeply connected. Here as understanding raises her voice on the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance of the town on the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. So God wants us to know that his wisdom, his truth, is available to all of us. We just have to look for it. We have to learn to be truth seekers and filter everything in our lives through truth. So I, I honestly believe truth will guide us into eternity if we hold on to it tightly. So is your life girded in truth? Is your life centered on truth? If you're a Christ follower, 
it should be. And Paul moves on in verse 14. He says, also put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, for a Roman soldier, their body armor was often made of bronze, uh, wrapped in leather, could be chainmail as well, and that protected their vital organs. And I, I think we get the concept of this. It uh, went from just below their neck uh, to, down to just below their waist, and it would protect their heart, their lungs, their stomach, the, the vital organs that if they got, a, uh, got stabbed by a sword or got shot by an arrow, that they would most likely die. So its purpose was to protect the vital organs of that soldier. And Paul calls this body armor God's righteousness, some people read that to mean we have to be perfect. And they read that and go, well, I can't be perfect, so I guess that means I just can't wear that body armor. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means learning to live rightly. It means learning to live in a way that we honor God with our lives. And as we learn to do that, that actually protects the vital parts of who we are. Listen to Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart, Above all else, just guard your heart. Above anything else that you could ever do, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. So right living can actually protect the core of, of who we are. In, in a spiritual context, it can, t- can protect us in so many ways. So uh, a question for us to process is, are you wearing the body armor of right living? Is there anything that you're involved in that you would honestly say if you were just you know, quiet between you and God that, you know what, I probably shouldn't be doing that because that thing is actually hurting me. God wants us to wear that body armor of protection and right living can protect us from so many things in our lives. There are two main areas where the enemy seems to be most active in our lives. And that is in the areas of morality and addiction. The enemy loves to work in in issues of morality or immorality. Uh, The enemy loves to attack us in the areas of addiction. When you look around the world, uh, we can see evidence of that everywhere. And so in our lives, are there any issues of morality that need to be addressed? Are there any issues of addiction that need to be addressed? Now, sometimes the enemy comes after us in an all-out attack through morality issues, through addiction issues, and other times the enemy comes at us subtly in ways that we don't always recognize at first, Um, in ways that can be simple, like just entertainment, things that we kind of overlook, like, oh, that's just Hollywood, that's just entertainment, and yet the reality is the enemy loves that because he can quietly get into our lives without us even really knowing it. And I'm talking about... TV shows, I'm talking about movies, I'm talking about video games, even board games nowadays uh, can open us up to the influence or attacks of the enemy. So I don't mean to over-dramatize this stuff, but what are you watching? Like When you go to the movies or when you sit down and flip on the TV, are you watching things that bring honor to God? Are you watching stuff that really is kind of hurting you hurting the vital parts of your relationship with God. 
And I know that we can all rationalize, but man, this is my favorite show. It's so great, except for this and that. And well, if they didn't do that and that and that. Um, and I know we can get overdramatic about all that stuff. But my wife and I just uh, recently, there was a movie I saw that was advertised and I wanted to see it. And um, it had come out on uh, DVD. So I picked it up and we sat down to watch it. Within the first five minutes, it was horrible. So we turned it off. Why? Because I don't want that garbage in my life. I don't want that garbage in my home. I don't want that stuff affecting me and pulling me away from my relationship with God. I don't want to open the door to that area and the enemy come and attack me in another area. Uh, recently, uh, my, my son came to me and asked me about a video game. And he and I talk about video games often. And so he came and asked me, he said, Dad, like, there's this cool game my friends have. Like, what do you think? And I checked it out and I'm like, bud, I just, I don't think that's good for us. Ah, my friends have it. Yeah, you're not going to have it. Um, and you know, I was sad for him in that moment, but and he understood that. Like, he got it. He understands that there are some things that, you know, like, it's just not great for me to be involved in. There's some video games out there we should not play. There's some video games out there no one should play. When you look at it, the content of it devalues people. I mean, there's some horrible stuff out there. Again, you may think, ah, you're just over-sensationalizing this. I know, I get it, I understand. But I think if we open the door to the enemy, he'll come and attack us subtly, and then he'll attack us aggressively in other ways as well. There's a board game. You can go get at Walmart for a stocking stuffer, and it's a Ouija board game. And it's for middle schoolers on up. And I was reading the information about it, the advertisement about it. It just says uh, something similar. It's like a fun spirit world game where you can ask questions and get answers. Okay, so that sounds like fun. Hey, if you got a question, you'd like to ask it, you could actually get an answer for that. That sounds like it'd be a great thing without us understanding who the answers are coming from. I think the enemy could easily use something like that to get to our kids and then to get into our lives as well. So we gotta be careful about the stuff that we're watching, the stuff that we're engaged in, even the stuff that we're playing. Verse 15, Paul says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now, I think we understand how important right footwear is for right activities. So if you were going out bowling one night, you would not put on your best basketball shoes. Like you would go put on some bowling shoes. Uh, if you were going to go play basketball, you wouldn't put your basketball shoes on to go, or your bowling shoes to go play basketball. It's super important to have the right kind of shoes for the right activity. And the Roman soldiers actually understood this. And they took this, this um, uh, advancement, they made an advancement in footwear that put them at a, an advantage to their enemies. So look what they did to their sandals. So they took sandals. Can you imagine fighting in sandals? It could be kind of like fighting in flip-flops. And so they took their sandals and they studded the bottom of them with nails. So it would give them extra traction in the difficult terrain that they were fighting in. And it's so important that just that technological advancement put them ahead of many of their enemies where they had proper footing and their enemies didn't. So Paul says, we have to have our feet firmly grounded in what? What did that verse say? Good news. So what's the good news? The good news 
is Jesus paid for our sins. He died on the cross so we wouldn't have to. Wow, that's good news. Again, a moment of our life, whether you did something little, you did something big, we all deserve to die for what we have done. And that's what scripture teaches us. And yet what scripture also teaches us is that Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take their place. I'll do that for them. I will die so they can live. That is good news. And hopefully you've responded to that good news. And if you haven't, I'm going to tell you in a little bit how you can respond to that. And so Paul says we've got to be grounded in that truth that Jesus has died so we can live. We should live our life in response to that good news, not trying to earn it, but in response to it. And as we are grounded in that, we can have peace. Peace can come into our lives as we're grounded every day in truth the truth of the good news. So are you grounded in the good news? Are you worrying about anything and everything that comes through your life? You can actually have peace as you stay focused on what Jesus has done for you. Verse 16, Paul says, in addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, At the time that Paul was writing this, Roman soldiers had two shields that they would use. One was a smaller shield. It was circular. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, it was kind of like the ones the gladiators would use. And the one that he's talking about specifically now is a bigger shield that was about two foot wide and about four foot tall, similar to this picture here. And so it could be used to link with other shields to help protect the Roman army as they advanced on their enemies who were shooting arrows at them. And often those arrows were lit on fire at the end. And these shields is believed to, that they were designed in such a way as they had the possibility of putting out some of the, those fiery arrows that were coming at them. So super important piece of equipment here, this shield of faith. So for us, our faith can be a shield that protects us from the enemy. And our faith is that we believe in what God can do. We believe in his promises. We believe that God can see us through any situation. There is no financial issue. There is no health issue. There is no relationship issue that we don't believe that God can see us through. It's about holding tightly to faith, our faith in God. So are you holding tightly to your shield of faith? If you are, you will be able to stand against some of the attacks of the enemy as he tries to shoot his fiery arrows at you. If you are not holding your shield of faith, the enemy will put a strategically placed arrow into your life. And that arrow will fester And it will start burning. It will start affecting your life. And it will start causing you to doubt God and his goodness and who he really is and what he can do in your life. And you might find yourself walking away from God. And why? Simply because you don't have faith in who God is anymore. So you're holding tightly to your shield of faith. Verse 17. Paul commands us to put on the last piece of body armor He talks about the helmet of salvation. So he says, put on salvation as your helmet. Now, I think we understand the importance of a helmet. You know, in many sporting events, we understand that. In a physical battle, like a sword fight that a Roman soldier would have with another soldier, we understand, like, if you don't have a helmet on, you take one blow to the head and there's a good chance you're dead. So it's super important to have helmet on. Now, this helmet helps to protect our minds. 
And this is often the, where the greatest battlefield is, right here. I don't know how wide that is, but that's like five inches, six inches. You know, six inches of the greatest battle happens right here in our lives. Where if the enemy can attack us in our thoughts and get us to doubt God, he can get us to walk away from him. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, don't be um, conformed to this world, but let God transform you by changing the way you think. So God spends his time here affecting how we think so he can affect our lives and, and make us stronger to be able to fight the enemy. So there's a great battle that happens right here on a regular basis. And then Paul said this is the helmet of salvation. Now, salvation is a term that um, we don't use a whole lot outside of uh, church circles. Um, we use it occasionally here and there. But, but salvation really means, in this context, it means people who've put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It means they're saved now, and they will be saved when they die, or they'll be saved for heaven when Jesus com- comes back to take us home to be with him in eternity. So if you've ever put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are saved and you will be saved. So you're saved for heaven, you're saved from hell. And if you've never done that, you can learn how to do that. I'm going to talk to you uh, in just a minute about how to do that. And we can actually know whether we have eternal life. It's possible to know that. Listen to what the Apostle John said. In 1 John 5.11, he said, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. And then in verse 13, he said, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may, what's that next word? So that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know we have eternal life. We don't have to go through life wondering or worrying. We don't have to wonder, like, do I have it? Like, I'm not sure. We don't have to worry on a regular basis about whether we have been adopted into God's family and have eternal life. We can know confidently that we have that. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, stand firm in that. Stand confident in the decision you've made and that Jesus has invited you to be a part of his family. Again, if you haven't done that, I'm going to tell you in just a minute how you can do that. Now, after putting on the helmet of salvation, Paul tells us to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, the primary offensive weapon that a Roman soldier would use was a short sword about two feet long. It's what would be on his side always. Um, in a a military context. We could understand that uh, our military may go into battle with an M16 rifle with them and have a sidearm with them always. So for a Roman soldier, this sword was their sidearm. They needed to be proficient with this sword because it meant life or death. This was the weapon that they would use in close combat with the enemy. And so Paul's telling us, listen, the word of God, the truth of God is like our only offensive weapon. It's our primary offensive weapon to use against the enemy. And we watched Jesus use it last week. We watched Jesus reach for the word of God to fight against the enemy. And if Jesus is gonna reach for biblical truth to do that, I think we should learn how to do that on a regular basis. And the cool thing is you don't have to be a Bible scholar to learn that. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to learn how to do that. You can start with one verse. You can start with two verses. 
We looked at two verses last week that can help us with that. Anybody remember what those two verses are? Pop quiz. Romans 8.12 was one of them, and James 4.7 was the other. If you don't know anything about Scripture and you want to learn how to fight the enemy, look up those two verses, Romans 8.12 and James 4.7, and then you can grow your knowledge from there. So we all need to learn to be proficient with using biblical truth to fight against the enemy. All right. We have covered a whole lot of information. Is everybody okay? Are you still with me? You're still tracking? All right, did the turkey from Thanksgiving set in on somebody next to you? Hopefully not. All right, so we're gonna kind of round the corner here and uh, finish in just a minute. So you might be a little bit confused, especially if you're kind of new to faith. You might be a little confused about what we're talking about. You might be thinking like, what am I supposed to do? Put on the socks of what? And the scarf of something? Like, I, I don't remember. All right, so here's my recommendation. Just pick one thing that we've talked about this morning. One thing that you need to focus on. So maybe for you, the thing that you need to focus on is truth. Maybe you haven't built your life on truth. Maybe you've built your life on half-truths. Maybe you've done a really good job of spinning stuff around so other people think you're telling the truth. But if you're honest, like you're really not. Your life is not based on truth. So maybe this morning... God's saying, build your life on truth. It should be central to who you are and how you live. Maybe you need to focus this morning on wearing the body armor of right living. Maybe there's something that you're involved in in your life right now that really isn't honoring God. It's not helping to protect the vital parts of who you are. And this morning, maybe you're convicted about that. Maybe there's something you need to change. Maybe you need to pick up the shield of faith. Maybe at one point you had the shield of faith and it was strong and it was high and you were fighting against the attacks of the enemy, but maybe you've been hit in battle so much you've let the shield of faith drop in your life. And you're not believing in what God can do anymore. You're not believing in what God can do in your financial situation or your health situation or uh, that big issue that you're, you're facing right now. Maybe you're just full of doubt and skepticism. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded. You need to hold tightly to the shield of faith and believe in what God can do in any situation. Maybe for some of you, you need to put the helmet of salvation on. Maybe you've never done that before. And there might be somebody here today who'd say, you know, I have never put that on before. I've never recognized that I need to put my personal faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if I do that, then I can learn how to put all the rest of the armor on. So if you're in that spot, salvation is based on three things. It's based on admitting, it's based on believing, and it's based on committing. So it's based on admitting that we need Jesus in our lives. It's based on believing that Jesus is God in the flesh and he died so we can live. And it's based upon committing our lives to him asking him to come into our life and then saying, listen, I'm gonna follow you the rest of my life. So if you've never prayed a prayer like this before, I'm gonna guide you in how you can do that. So let me show you this prayer. This prayer says, God, I admit that I need you, Jesus, in my life. I believe that you are God in the flesh who died so I can live. And today I invite you to be my savior. And I commit to follow you. Now, 
If you've never prayed that prayer before, I'm gonna encourage you, like you could do that right now. I encourage you to just fling the doors open of your heart and say, Jesus, like I need you. Here's the really cool thing. You can say this prayer anywhere. You can say it in a church that's really a middle school. You could say it at home. You could say it when you're driving home. Uh, You could say it, this is gonna sound funny, you could say it while you're sitting on the toilet. I actually talked with somebody recently. I said, hey, when did you put your faith and trust in Jesus? They said, I was on the toilet. Like, literally, they told me that. And I'm like, hey, that just goes to prove. You can do this anywhere. How great is that? Okay. Um, Anytime I guide people through this, I feel the need to be crystal clear, as clear as I possibly can be. You can say these words every day for the rest of your life, and it mean nothing to you. You could say these words one time, and it mean everything for you. What God cares about is the sincerity of our hearts when we make a statement like this. This is a declaration of how we're going to live and what we believe. So uh, I'm going to do something that I think I've only done two other times in the life of our church. But as I've been praying through this, I just, I've really felt this is how I'm supposed to end this service today. So let me tell you what I'm going to ask you to do in just a minute, and then um, I'll ask you that in just a second. But what I'm going to ask is if you are praying this prayer for the first time in your life, you've never prayed this prayer before, you've never put on the helmet of salvation, I'm going to ask you in a minute, not right now, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And you might think, craziest thing ever. Why would I ever want to stand in front of people I don't know? Like, I get it. I understand. But I think standing in the context of what we're learning about as we stand firm against the enemy, this could be your moment, the first moment where you stand up physically and say, I'm standing for Jesus, and I'm standing against the enemy. I think a party would break out in heaven, as Scripture says, for you because of the decision that you've made today. Now, let me be clear about this. Jesus is not going to revoke your salvation if you don't stand in this moment. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus and stay seated. If, if, if you feel more comfortable with that, you can do that. Um, but again, in the context of what we're talking about, I just felt like, you know what? I'm going to invite people to stand if they're putting in this spot. If they'd say, yes, I need to do this. Now, if no one stands, that's okay. If one person stands, that's great. It doesn't matter. I'm not affected by that. Just an opportunity for somebody here to possibly put their faith in Jesus for the first time. So, with all that said, if there's anybody here that would like to stand proclaiming that they are now believing in Jesus for the first time in your lives, would you please do that? Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Just pause for just a second, just in case there's somebody else I'm not seeing. Would everybody else stand with this lovely lady? So what an incredibly courageous thing to do. So incredibly proud of you. Like, wow, what an amazing thing to do in front of a bunch of people that you don't know. So if you don't know her, everybody after service, go meet her. Just kidding, don't do that. She'd be weirded out, okay? Um, But wow, there might be some other folks here that are still deciding. Uh, If you're in that spot of deciding, I hope that you will. I hope that you'll ask whatever questions you need to ask to get those answers so that you too, like this lovely lady, can put your faith in Jesus and wear the helmet of salvation and learn how to start wearing all the armor that God 
has given us. So we've learned a whole lot today, folks. Again, what's the one thing you need to focus on? What's the one thing you need to be wearing every day throughout the rest of this week and and into next month that you need to focus on that one thing? You decide that this morning and then work on that. So I'm gonna pray. And then our worship team is gonna close us out today and they're gonna remind us of who our power and our armor comes from. It comes from God. And we gotta remember how great he is. It's always about him. It's never about us. So let's pray together. Wow, Lord, just so excited. Uh, for us to be learning this incredible information this morning and so excited for this courageous woman who has stood today saying, I'm in. Like, I'm standing for Jesus. I'm standing against the enemy. Lord, I pray for her. I pray for others uh, who may have made that decision, whether they stood or not. Lord, I pray that you would grow them in this new relationship that they have with you. I pray that they would understand deeply that they are loved You've gone to great lengths to prove that love and you are with them and you will guide them and you will teach them how to fight against the enemy. So continue to give them the resources that they need. And Lord, we're all in a spot, whether we're Christ followers or not, where we really need to look at one thing this morning, just one thing we need to focus on. Some people need to focus on truth. Some people need to focus on right living. Some need to focus on their faith, growing their faith, maybe learning how to use the word of God to fight against the enemy. Lord, this morning as we process that and we talk to you about that, Lord, I pray that, that we would be crystal clear in our commitment to you, that we will work on that one thing. And Lord, as we sing, we are reminded of how great you are, that life is always about you and what you can do. It's never about us. Thank you for being such a great God to us. In Jesus' name, amen.